Come up with me to Mark chapter 8, where we're going to be today. Some of you might be thinking, well, that's not the Easter story in Mark chapter 8. Um, and then if you're multitask, I want you to hold a finger in Mark chapter 8, and we're going to start in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So there's two ways that we wanted to look at the resurrection of Jesus today as we celebrate really the, the crowning jewel for all of Christianity. And the, the term crown jewel doesn't even do it justice because it really is the crux of um, Christianity and who we are as Christians is the resurrection. The resurrection absolutely changes everything for us. The impact of the resurrection upon your life and my life, it, it's so impactful. It impacts our day-to-day life. It impa- impacts our eternity. It absolutely changes everything. It makes us who we are as believers in Christ followers is the resurrection and the impact of this day. So today, the crowning jewel of, of Jesus Jesus rising again from the grave. You know, Jesus made so many crazy and wild outlandish claims in his life that he he needed to back up to make them true by dying on a cross and raising again the third day. And Jesus did exactly that. And we celebrate it this day, the day that Jesus defeated sin and death, the day that the grave couldn't hold him and the day that death died. And so this morning in the early service, the real Christians came to the sunrise service. And so um, in, in that service, we, we did the event of the rapture. And so you can get the CD um, and check that out if you want um, to catch up. But we did the event of the rapture. and We were in Luke 24 and we walked through what actually happened. In this service, we're going to the next part of the message, which is the impact of of the the resurrection upon your life and upon my life. And so I want to look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hold a finger in Mark 8, because really the crux of what I want to share is out of Mark chapter 8 today about the impact of um, Jesus in our, um, the resurrection of Jesus in our life. In In the morning service, one of the things that really stood out to me, and I don't know why the concept was was foreign or new, but it just had a really cool impact in a worship song. We sang that song forever this morning. And one of the lines is we've sang it many times. I love this song. He is alive. He is alive. And you know, we stay, we, we say, and we greet one another this morning with he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Well, if he's risen, then it's, it's implemented that he's alive. But, you know, if you take yourself to that faithful day, um, the, the first Easter Sunday morning, And Isaiah tells us that that Jesus was beaten beyond visage, that Jesus was marred worse than any other human being in history. They put a bag on his head and they punched him in his face. And the reason why they put the bag on his head was because he couldn't see the punches coming. And when you can't flinch, your God has created within you a, a natural protection system. You know when a quarterback gets hurt in a football game? When he gets blindsided, right? Even if he takes a way harder hit, but he sees it coming, even last second, your body does something to embrace for impact. And it just takes a split second to do it. But with a bag on his head, Jesus didn't have that, that privilege. And he would have took the full brunt of every one of the blows. And then they put their hands in front of him after, and they said, now prophesy to us, which one of these hands are the ones that hit you? And no doubt Jesus' face would have begun to swell from the, from the blows. They ripped his beard from his face so there would have been bleeding and blood upon his face. And when they punched him, no doubt his eyes would have bled, his nose would have bled, his lips would have bled. And and Isaiah tells us that he he was marred beyond visage. It it was like like we, we can't look upon him. 
Have you guys ever seen a, you know, I, I love these sporting, I don't love it, I hate it actually because I'm, I'm kind of girly in this way, but, you know, my friends are like, oh, watch that, check that out. And I'm like, dude, how can you watch that? The guy breaks his leg in a sporting event and the, the, the NBC, ABC, one of the major networks, you know, and they show it like 47 times. Oh. Slow motion as the bone is snapping. There was a couple of years ago that kid in college basketball in the tournament had a really bad break, and they showed it like over and over. Oh, I couldn't watch it once. And then 47 times later, I'm like, all right already. But anyways, <laughs> you know that, that just kind of, ugh. Jesus would have looked that way. Not to mention the, the scars on his body on the cross. You know, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, regardless of your opinion of it. They, they, they went pretty far to prove or to show, to illustrate that Jesus' death was very violent. And, and really the reality is they didn't go far enough as violent as it portrayed. It was worse than even that. But, but in that, now in all, this, all that to say this, the impact of Jesus is alive. Now the last picture that Peter and the disciples and these folks and Mary Magdalene and all these people had of Jesus in Luke 24 is him on that cross looking that way. They couldn't even look at him. And then he's alive. Can you imagine that first Easter morning, seeing him alive and the impact that Jesus is alive? And today, let me tell you something about Jesus. He is alive. I was going to come in this morning and tell you guys that, that Jesus didn't rise from the grave. And then I was going to tell you, April Fool's, but that's a terrible April Fool's joke that... Uh, when it went over real well, but, um, so let's look at today, the impact of the resurrection. How does the resurrection affect our lives? How does it affect who we are as believers? You know, one of the things in the Bible that's, that's more attacked than anything else in the Bible, the truth of the validity of is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is crazy because the actual physical proof with, with the historical um, records and the eyewitnesses, Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time and on and on and on. There's more proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is for Napoleon Bonaparte's famous Battle of Waterloo. Now, both are before the days of, of cameras and pictures and, you know, we don't have it tape recorded or something. But, you know, there's more proof for the resurrection than the battle of Waterloo. Why is it that nobody wants to argue and fight that the battle of Waterloo did or didn't happen? And, and we want to believe in, and we have no problem believing in all this weird stuff, right? What's something weird? What do you guys believe in? Go ahead. Entertain us besides Santa Claus and the Easter bunny, Bigfoot, right? How many of you guys watch Bigfoot? And like, you're one of those guys like, yeah, man, I know it's real. I know there's a Bigfoot out there, man. There's, there's a squash. I was in the airport one time and, uh, the producer of the show, his wife was in the airport sitting next to me on, on, on the plane, getting ready to get in the plane. We didn't sit next to her on the plane, but in the waiting room, get ready to get in. And so we started talking. So I was a pastor from Utah, and she told me that her husband is the, the executive producer of whatever that show is. It was like in its sixth season of Finding Bigfoot, Squatch, and they were, they were filming in Idaho, and she was flying up to go see him and. uh and her and I were having fun with it because she didn't believe in it either, you know. And her, her husband was the, the guy. So we believe in Sasquatch. How about aliens? Anybody in here believe in aliens? Now, let me tell you something about aliens. And this is extra. This wasn't in the notes. It's not a part of the sermon. But um, if aliens were true, the government would show you the proof. Like, they want you to believe in aliens. Like, it's not, not trying to hide it. They want you to believe in it. And if they had it, they would show them. But anyways, so we believe in these things. But the... the 
I got sidetracked pretty bad, but the whole point is this on Bigfoot and aliens. And should we talk about like Illuminati and someone says, well, that's true to know. Okay. All right. We'll keep going. But, um, the, here's the difference. Why, why does nobody have a hard time? Why do people want to believe in aliens? Why do people have not a hard time believing in unicorns and Sasquatch? Because you can believe in Sasquatch and you can believe in aliens and they don't affect your day to day life. They have no impact upon where you go when you die. But the reason why the the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so attacked, even though it's way provable and way more accurate, the reason why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so attacked is because if you admit there was a resurrection, then you have to also admit that Jesus is alive and that absolutely affects the very fiber of who you are to the bone. It affects your eternity. It affects where you go when you die. It affects what's true about life and death. And everything else, if Jesus rose from the grave. And again, the thing is about Jesus rising from the grave. Do you guys realize that that single event separates Jesus from everybody else? It's, you, nobody else died. I tell people all the time, I tease. You know, I say, hey, you, why don't you start a religion? I'll follow you, man. Let's go start it. You know, there's money in religion too. Like, go start some false religion. All you got to do is take a couple bullets in the head, lay in the dirt for three days, and then get up, and then, then I'll follow you. If, if you'll die and rise again, like that is substantial. That's so significant that, that then you're worthy to be followed. You're worthy then to, to make the claims that they're true of who you are. So we haven't even read a scripture yet, huh? What church are we in? I thought this was Calvary Chapel. I thought we taught the word here. All right, we're going to teach the word. Hey, let's look. We're going to jam through chapter 15 because I want to get through several sections here. And then we're going to go to Mark 8 where we're going to plant just for a few more minutes at the end. And it says, Moreover, brethren, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also received you received in which you stand, by which you were also saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. What's the next word say? And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Somebody. According to the scriptures. Now, listen, it's really important. This, this phrase that we find in the Bible multiple times. Jesus said that, that if, you, if you live and believe in me according to the scriptures, then out of your life will flow torrents of living water. And this little phrase added on to according to the scriptures. Why? Because the reality is even in the room here, there may be folks that believe all kinds of different things about Jesus. And again, if you're here and you don't believe the same way that we believe, then, then we want to first just say, we're glad you came. We're honored that you came to hang out with us on Easter. And hopefully, you know, you, you feel comfortable enough that even if you don't on the same page with everything that we believe or everything we teach about the Bible, that you feel comfortable enough to come back next week. I mean, you feel comfortable enough in your, in the, in the setting and, and, and at least you believe that we believe it. And, and, and again, everybody is, you know, sometimes we don't just preach for today to get saved and today to change, but for a second chance and for an opportunity for people to come and continue to be in a place where they can hear the gospel in a comfortable atmosphere. And we work really hard on that in our church is that, you know, people feel comfortable, whether they're like us or not, to be able to come back and maybe, you know, as God begins to work, as we teach the word and, you know, the, the thing is people have been hurt. And we deal with a lot of people here in Tula County that have been lied to. And they don't trust people like me. 
you know, because, because they've been hurt, you know, and that's the nice thing about our church. We nice thing is the, the easy part about, you know, no priesthood, no hierarchy, you got nowhere to go. Just, we're all just trying to work our way to the bottom to be servants of, you know, to be servants. And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest of all, you have to learn to be a servant of all. And, 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 and that the ultimate call of God upon each one of our lives is to love and to love one another. That's something that we're, we're not great at at times, right? But it's definitely a goal. It's just to love, love one another. And, and so, but the, the idea is that no matter what your opinion is, may, maybe you grew up, I grew up with a mom who um, believed she was a good person for a lot of years. And she grew up in, in, in central Kansas in the Bible Belt. And one of the problems with, you know, maybe some of that, that upbringing and hers particularly was that there was a prevailing idea that if you were a good person, that the good old boy upstairs, he, he would, uh, you know, how could a loving God send me to hell? Didn't know Jesus, didn't go to church, didn't have her sins forgiven. But when we went to dinner at my neighbor's house, she didn't steal the spoons when we left. And, and she worked hard and, you know, she was a good person and, you know, I'm a good person. And maybe you feel that way today, but I want to tell you something. Jesus never said good people go to heaven. Jesus said people that follow him go to heaven. Jesus said he is the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes to the father except through me. I got, I got maybe bad news, good news. I don't know, but there's going to be a lot of bad people in heaven and a lot of good people in hell. And, and, and the reality is it doesn't make you, you know, it doesn't make you dumb. It just makes you deceived if, if, you know, it's not according to what the scripture says, right? Believe in Jesus according to the scriptures, twice in these verses, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. And that, you know, one day, listen, if what we're here to celebrate, that Jesus died and he rose again. Now, now the greatest impact on all of human, on all of planet earth is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Jesus himself. And without spending too much time, but more books, more songs, more articles, more life, more talk, more about Jesus than any other subject or topic on planet Earth throughout all of history. Jesus has made more impact on the world than anything else. And, and if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is, is an event, then one day you'll stand before God. So if what we celebrate today is true, that means that when you breathe your last, you're going to meet Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right. And let me just encourage you with this lovingly, kindly, depending on where you are. And maybe you're in this place again. You don't get to decide on that day how it's going to go. God's already decided. You don't get to make the rules. On, on the outcome of that meeting, that, that when you meet Jesus and, and you get to, he gets to decide. And, and when the whole thing goes down, it's already been decided. And, and God has already decided. You know, the cool thing was the, the, the ladies came back from the tomb. And when they got back from the tomb, they saw that Jesus was gone. And the angels appeared and said, he is not here. He is risen. And they ran back to where the disciples were. And the Bible said the disciples thought they were crazy. They thought it was idle talk that the girls were, were bringing. And in the next verse, verse 12, it says that Peter arose and he ran to the tomb. Why did he do that? Because he was going to go check it out. Yeah, he, he was one of the ones that believed it was idle and not true. But at least he was wise enough to get up and go check it out for himself. And we always encourage you, go check it out for yourself. Don't believe what I'm telling you. Don't believe what somebody else tells you. Don't believe what the church down the street tells you. You know, the priest, the pastor, the bishop, you know, believe what God, God says. What does God say about himself? 
You know, the amazing thing is when you want to know who God is, Jesus told us seven times in the gospel of John, I am, I am, I am, I am. That's who God is. You don't have to guess. Jesus told you, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the true vine. Did I miss any? Probably, huh? I think that was six. I am the gate, the door, the light. Oh, that was the one. I am the light of the world was the last one. So then it goes on um, in verse number five. And it says, and he was seen by Caiaphas and by the 12. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep. And after he was seen by James and all the other apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time due time. So part of just the, the eyewitnesses that um, Jesus was seen by over 500, then the individuals look at verse number 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, we also are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now listen, verse 19, all that to set this up. If in this life, we have only hope in Christ. We are of all men most pitiable. So Paul tells us that if there's no resurrection of all men, we as Christians are the most pitiable. Why? Because it's, it's the crowning jewel of our faith. It, it, it is absolutely the key to who we are and what we believe. And without it, we are the most pitiable among all men. And then we get the idea of the resurrection in verse 20 of, of 1 Corinthians 15 still. And Paul says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits for those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus, as the resurrection and the life, he's, he's called the, the, the first fruit of resurrection, which means it's just the beginning. You know what is so cool about the resurrection story and where we are today is that God's heart and God's plan is to resurrect you. It's a theme of the Bible is that Jesus, that God wants to resurrect you today. Where do you find yourself today? Have you been walking with the Lord for a long time and, and God has been doing amazing things in your life? God continues and wants to resurrect you in your life where you are today. Maybe, maybe you're in here today and you said yes to Jesus at one point in your life. And today you're just, you're struggling relationally and, and, and with intimacy and being close to God and bearing fruit for God. And, and today in your life, God wants to resurrect that in your life today. Because God wants to resurrect. You know what's so cool about Jesus? I shared this in the early service, but what do we do on Christmas, on Jesus' birthday? We give each other gifts, right? Like, we don't get, how many of you guys gave Jesus a gift this Christmas? Like, we don't give Jesus a present. It'll be kind of tough, right? We got it while we do it, but we figured out. But we, we give each other presents. We receive presents. Well, just as on Jesus's birthday, we get something. On the day that we celebrate Jesus's resurrection, it's different. You know what God wants to do on the day we celebrate his resurrection? He wants to resurrect your life. You know, this concept, I was telling Lydia, um, as, as, as I was studying this, you know, um, I was looking for places in the Bible where it talks about the idea that God wants to resurrect your life. 
And, and I started going, as, as I always do, I take a concordance and I'll type a keyword in and it'll bring up all the verses in the New Testament where that word is found. And I go through them and sift them out. Maybe you search a different way, a different word. And, and there's so much. I couldn't cover it all this morning if I wanted to. But I'll just tell you, you just have to trust me. And, and, and I will show you a couple before we're done today that, that, that God wants to resurrect your life. Amen? Amen. So he's the first fruit of the resurrections. But if he's the first fruit, it's just the beginning. And then um, look at verse 25 before we turn back to Mark real quick. So, so we uh, actually go 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God and the father. He has put an end to the rule and authority and power for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy will be, I'm sorry, will be destroyed is death. Do you know death is your enemy? Death is vile. Death is violent. Death is, you know, we, we think sometimes, you know, with Lazarus. Remember when Jesus came and, and he went to um, get Lazarus and he told Mary, move the stone away. And Mary stopped him and protested, right? And she said, he's been in there four days. And by now, according to the, the King James Version, the original King James, she said, he stinketh. Like it's vile what's happening to his body. Now, of all the people um, that were there, Jesus said he did it in front of a crowd. Like the, Lazarus was very public. The most public um, resurrection that Jesus performed was with Lazarus. Big crowd, lots of people. And, and, and I'll tell you that day, the, 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 the most unhappy person there was Lazarus. Right? You know, what's so, you know what's strange to me? Nowhere in the Bible did one of the guys think, hey, Lazarus, you were dead for four days, dude. You were in the grave. Like your, your, your body, your soul wasn't in your body. What happened? Do you want to write a book about it? Things I saw in heaven or whatever they go, you know, and, and do you, do you want to like, what was it like? And no doubt, right. Did, was Lazarus like in heaven? He was starting to rearrange his furniture and fix his house and things were going good. He was meeting some friends and, you know, and all of a sudden he's like getting ripped back to the earth. And he's like, I've only been here four days. And then he's got to die later and, and get to go back, you know, to the things that he left. But nobody thought to ask Lazarus or God, for whatever reason, didn't record it. What happened during that four days? But Lazarus stunk. What do you think happened when God raised him, when he brought his body, soul back into his body? You think like the stink went away? <laughs> or he had to like go take a shower or something? I don't know. But, but death itself, listen, is, is ugly. Be, because for this reason. Now, when we die, right, we, we as Christians, we say that, that when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what happens to our soul is gain. And we love that part. And that, that we look forward to. There's hope in death for the believer because we get to go be with Jesus. But death itself is ugly. Death itself was never what God intended. Adam and Eve were designed to live forever and ever and ever. And then sin and death entered the world. And the curse came upon our flesh. And death was born. And Jesus... Here, he defeats sin and death. And one day, he'll, he'll resurrect us in the first resurrection. And no longer will we, will we experience sin or death any longer in our lives. Amen? Amen. That's the good news. Bad news? You got to wait till you get to heaven to get it. Hey, turn with me to Mark real quick. We got uh, about 10 more minutes. Um. And we're going to walk through Mark chapter 8. I want to share with you guys something out of Mark chapter 8 today. Um, 
Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse number 27, it says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea, Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others the prophet. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now, um, this is the impact of the resurrection on your life, on my life. If Jesus, again, and I've said this a ton, but I really want it to sink in. I want you to hear this. I want you to believe this. I, I not only want you just to believe this, I don't want you to leave out that door today without taking a moment and really asking yourself an honest question. How does the, the impact of the resurrection affect my life? What does it do for me? What, what, what is, is there? If Jesus lived and died and rose again, how does that impact my life today? And, and don't ignore it anymore. But here in Mark chapter 27, we're going to get to this section of Jesus talking about what it means to be a Christ follower. What it means to be a disciple of Christ. And, and, and the first part of it, is, as he gets into this, is this, this part of Jesus' ministry that he constantly kept going back to. This was so important topic to Jesus. Now, you know, Jesus is asking these questions. And he's talking to the disciples and he says, he says, who do men say that I am? And what did they say? Well, you're Jesus, the Messiah, of course, right? Everybody knows who you are. There's no doubt. Is that what the disciples said? They said they said all kinds of things. Some people think that you're John the Baptist. Some people think that you're Elijah resurrected. Some people think that your Gandhi and Mother Teresa had a cousin. Um, some people think, you know, and so is that any different in our world today? If we went out today, we went down to the mall and, um, you know, we got a recorder and a, and a microphone and we, we shoved the mic in people's face as they walked by us. And we said, who do you think Jesus is? What, what would the answers be? We'd get all kinds of different, different things about who Jesus is. But the fact that Jesus on multiple times in his ministry brought this to the forefront and made it uh, the key that, you, that according to the scriptures, he who lives and believes in me according to the scriptures. And so Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Now, listen, the answer to that question has eternity in the balance. And you have to get it right. And it was super important to Jesus. So first he established it. Now, Matthew records it in more detail than than Mark does. But basically, this was one of um, Peter's crowning moments again. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And and he said, Peter, your name is Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And he gave Peter the, the keys to the kingdom. And as Matthew records on this on this thing, Mark just records the skinny of it. That, that Peter said, you are the Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. He's the Savior. It's, it's the Greek word for the, the Hebrew word Messiah. And then in verse 30, it says, and he strictly warned them that they should tell nobody. And then in verse 31, it says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, do what? He riz again. Three days, riz. He shall, He riz. And then it says in verse 32, and he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But he turned around and looked at his disciples and rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. So Peter's having a weird day, right? On the same day that, that, you know, he's put his chest out and right in front of everybody, uh, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, 
man, you're so perceptive of the things of God. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven has spoke to you. And Peter, you're listening and you're growing and you're learning. And Peter was like, that's right. And then I'm going to give you the keys to heaven. Peter's like, that's right. I got the keys. And then a few minutes later, Jesus is calling him Satan. You know, I, I don't think anybody should ever be called Satan. Lydia's dad called me Satan a couple times from the pulpit in a sermon. I'm still a little bitter about it, but, but none of you should ever be called Satan. But actually, technically, Jesus is not calling Peter Satan in this. That's a joke. Peter, Jesus is talking to the, the, the theology, the idea that Satan tempted Jesus with, that Jesus wouldn't have to go to the cross. And, and, and Jesus asked if there'd be any other way that people can get saved. Let's go with that plan. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so the whole concept of Satan, the plan of Satan was that Jesus could, could not have to go to the cross. But Jesus was born to die on the cross for your sins. And it was necessary that he go to the cross. And so um, in verse 34, it says, And when he had called the people to himself with his disciples... Also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So this is one of the calls of Jesus. Last week, again, we went through through the I am statements um, four or five different times where Jesus said to follow him. What is cool is when Jesus um, told, told you and I and told folks to follow him, oftentimes he qualified it with a promise. I will get, I will, you will be saved. I will give you life. I will give you light. I will, I will take care of you. And these, all of these promises of Jesus that come with them. Well, here's another call of God upon your life and my life. And again, good people don't go to heaven, but people that follow Jesus go to heaven. People, as Romans 10, 9 tells us, who believe in Jesus and that God raised him from the dead. Again, the power of the resurrection Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. And he says, if you want to follow me, now listen. This is the thing that I wanted to share with you guys today. It's just because I I think according to the scripture, according to the scriptures as we read in Corinthians, that a lot of people, and I know we have guests here today, and so, again, I wanted to do two things. Maybe there's somebody here who's, you know, you, you know, I, I wanted to preach, and I wanted to love you and encourage you in such a way that you'd feel comfortable to come back on a day that wasn't called Christmas or Easter. And, 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 and also have the opportunity while you're here to, to share the truth with you and share the gospel with you that, 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 there, that there is a truth and that there's a truth that you don't get to decide. And, and so here, Jesus, he, he, he makes things radical. He says, if you want to follow me, listen, this is what you got to do. And this is for you as Christ followers. You know, and we don't, we don't have an easy believism. It's easy to believe in God. Salvation is super simple. Trust and believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. That's what Paul told the Philippian jailer. As simple as that, the dude fell on his knees. He trusted and believed on the Lord Jesus. He got saved in all his household. And then naturally they got water baptized afterwards. Salvation is that simple. But listen, you don't, you don't just ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart one day at, at summer camp, Christian summer camp at 12 years old, and then go live your life like, like hell and the devil the rest of your life and live under the guise that you're okay. And, and, and just that there, there's a cost of discipleship. There's a cost. And Jesus said, if, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross. Let me read it, actually. When he had called the people to himself, his disciples also said to him, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So two concepts, real quick. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Okay, the first one, self. Listen, self is a concept of the world. It's, it's not biblical. It's not Jesus. 
You know, in, in the world, everything we do, you know, the world says a while ago, and they got it way wrong. But a while ago, we came out with these school campaigns and, and these, these pushes all across businesses and, and um, that, that we had to improve our self-esteem. And to this day, you know, you go to some churches and they teach self-esteem classes. Listen, let me tell you something about yourself. You love yourself. <laughs> Just fine. Just fine. If I took a big picture of this room right now from this vantage point and I blew it up real big and I put it on the, on the back wall and you came in next week. Who's the first person in the picture you're going to look for? Me? No. You look at yourself just fine. We don't have a problem loving ourselves. We have a problem focusing on ourselves is what the Bible says. And, and because we get so self-centered and we get so selfish, we, 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 we get our eyes off of what Jesus wanted in our lives. And Jesus said to, to deny yourself, to crucify your flesh. And to follow him, take up your cross. Now, take up your cross is a part of self-denial. I mean, it's a part of denying yourself. Now, you say, oh, I'm taking up my cross. I got, you know, I got cancer and this is my cross to bear for God. And I'm, I'm walking, I'm carrying this. But listen, that's not the concept. Now, that, that's a struggle and something different, you know, and that God will use and God can use. But, but to, to say or to believe that, you know, you, you have a struggle in your life and that's taking up your cross, that's, that's a different concept, Okay. Does, does any of you ask for, do you get to choose whether you get cancer or not? No, it's something that just happens to you. You can't, you can't take that up. And so if Jesus says, take something up, there's an action that's implied. There's, 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 there's something that you have to do to take it up. And so to, to die to yourself and be other-centered, to put other people in front of yourself, to think about things besides yourself. You, you want to know one of the keys to having joy in your life? Serve other people, man. Stop thinking about yourself and start serving other people. You know what's going to happen in your own heart? You're going to find the joy that you were looking for by hoping everybody else would serve you that you didn't get. And, 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 and just that joy, joy, joy. You know, so many times we, we, we want our, you know, you want to eat your cake and have it too. But, you know, self actually prevents you from receiving what you want. The focus on the self, it doesn't give you joy and love, and peace, and, and the, the fulfillment of God in your life that you need. Self is the enemy of that. And so that's why Jesus said here in this section that you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And in verse 35, he says, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So when, when will you save your life? First of all, in eternity. You know, and Jesus is not only just when he says he'll save you interested in eternity. He's also interested in the journey to get to eternity. Amen. Was I just preaching rhymes? The journey. I didn't even know it. The journey to get to eternity. All right. So um, God, but, but God is interested in the joy of, of the journey as well as, as where it'll take you. But you have to lose your life. Again, another concept that Jesus takes on um, and he, he turns it upside down. Again, what, what does the world tell you that you need to do in your life to find happiness? Take a vacation. Focus on yourself. Go to the spa. And all these things are good. We should do all these things as, as, as people, right? Those are things we all want those things. But, but it's, it's not where, where we want to focus. And it's not what's going to bring us actually what we're looking for. Sometimes I get back from vacation and I need a vacation. And it says in verse 36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world... 
and loses his own soul. Actually, verse, yeah, loses his own soul. Or what will? Do you realize that Jesus, in, in verse 36, he gives no answer. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? First thing I want to point out real quick in verse 36, and we're just about done, you guys, I promise, is that Jesus believed you could lose your soul. Right? Yes or no? Like Jesus said, if you gain this, what, what will it profit you if you gain this whole world and lose your own soul? Implying that Jesus believed you could lose your soul. And he basically comes up with a, with a math problem, with some equation that should make sense to you. It, it, what, what in this world would entice you? What would you like to have? How many of you guys think it'd be really cool to win one of those, you know, multi-billion dollar lotteries? Yeah, I like, um, you think that would make you happy? You think that would bring you the joy in your life that you lack? I, t- I have this argument with my mom all the time. And my mom will say, no, but it'll sure help. <laughs> I, I like to think that if, that if I had a bunch of money, I'd just be the same guy with a, with a nicer watch and the nicer shoes or something, you know. But, but, you know, I think that money will destroy you. And what, what will a man give for his own soul? And basically what Jesus is saying is, is what if you could, you know, what if it was billions? But in the process, you died and went to hell. And Jesus just lays it out that you made a bad deal. If you gain the whole world, and that's beyond billions, trillions, I don't know what the, the worth of the world is. Can we put a dollar amount on the worth of the world? In the multi-trillions of dollars of whatever it would be, Jesus said if you had all of that and you died and went to hell, you made a bad deal. Should I give the treasure example? No, all right. My wife says no. It had to do with boogers, so she doesn't want me to talk about it. And then Jesus says, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so, you know, the simple idea is to the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has an amazing impact in your life. I told you guys that, uh, that you know, I was going to prove to you that the, the purpose of the scripture is to, you know, one of the goals of God is to resurrect your life. But I want to show you a couple as we wrap up here. So turn with me just, I'm going to read two scriptures and then we'll close. Um, The first one is in John chapter 11, and these are the I am statements of Jesus. And this one is um, one of the seven places in the New Testament where Jesus tells you who he is, who God is. I am this, I am that. Who who are you, God? Well, here, I'll tell you seven times. And one of them is in John 11, 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not going to resurrect. I'm not going to be a part of it. I am it. I am the resurrection and the life. And as we already pointed out, Jesus was the first, first fruits of resurrection, and you're going to be the rest. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And then he said, listen, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Somebody say amen just at reading the Bible. Like there's nothing I could preach that was more powerful than just reading that. I'm going to read it again. I'm even going to put my glasses on one more time. When I'm done, you guys say amen, right? I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Amen. Jesus promises that, that you will never die, that he is the resurrection. And then the last one in John chapter 6, another I am statement of Jesus. And this is the one that I alluded to where he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus said in 635, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger. Who wants to never hunger? 
And he who believes in me shall never thirst. And then he goes on in verse 40 and he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last days. And Jesus wants to resurrect your soul to you this morning. Hey, turn back real quick to Mark. I want you guys, let's close where we, where we began. In Mark chapter 8, we had one verse left. Jesus wants to resurrect you. And then he says here in verse number 38 of Mark, Jesus said, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful, sinful generation of him, the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the father with his holy angels. And so let's stand. The worship team is going to come back up and close us song. And as they do, I, I want to give everybody in here an opportunity today to get right with Jesus and you know, we, we call this steps of faith because we take little steps of faith. And, and I can remember the first time that I was in church service when I publicly made a declaration of faith. And the impact that it had on my life was so substantial that, that I'll never forget it. I can close my eyes now and still see where I was. And, and, and as I walked down and as I got out of my chair and as I raised my hand and as I, I took steps of faith, and I'd been in that same seat for many, many weeks before that, feeling the Holy Spirit calling me and telling me it was time to get my life right with God, that God wanted to resurrect me, that God wanted to save me, that God wanted to get a hold of my life. And I I knew God was calling me to say yes to him. And the day that I actually did it, there was some power in it. But I want to tell you again, in reflection to verse number 38 here, it says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of his in this adulterous and sinful generation, to him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the angels. You know, Jesus never called anybody privately, always publicly. And part of the reason is just for this here, is that Jesus said in never to be ashamed. One of, the, one of our, our mantras here for our men's discipleship and things we do is the fellowship of the unashamed. And so with every eye open and every head raised up, I want to ask you today to take a step of faith and, and if you want to get your life right with God, whether it's a recommitment, whether it's a first-time commitment, I want you to raise your hand right now. Is there anybody? Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 Raise it up. Whether it's, re- whether it's receiving the Lord in your life, whether it's hold it up high just for one more second. In a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for all the hands that are up. And, and there's no magic in anything I can pray. I can't help you. I really can't. What can help you is if you say in your heart right now, yes to Jesus, and you surrender your heart and life to God, that God will absolutely change your life. And then as the worship team plays, a couple of the pastors and leaders are going to be up front. And and if you made a commitment to Christ today, come up and just tell us. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. If you don't own a Bible, we got got some loaner Bibles or some gift Bibles there on the back. Take one on the way out. And uh, we love you guys and God bless you guys. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I pray that you'd forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died and rose again, and the resurrection has every impact on my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.